Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. It's a podcast. About antiques. Mostly. Mostly. (laughs) What antiques are we talking about this week? I wanted to bring up a little something something that's very close to my heart. Probably the first antique that I learned about in earnest and that I started collecting when I was a wee one. Ah, BBD. It is Amberina glass. Oh? Amberina glass is a kind of art glass. Oh. What kind, you ask? Do tell. (laughs) Amberina glass is a kind of glass, gradual gradient in shades of color from amber to red. Oh. This is because Amberina glass is heat sensitive glass. The shading is applied by reheating the top part of the glass before allowing it to cool. So you make an amber-colored glass with a precipitate of colloidal gold, which is we'll just call it gold, and gold is heat-sensitive and creates the bright red color in old glass. Oh. So, like a magic color-changing Barbie, when you have a piece with gold and you heat it a second time, that heat causes the glass to undergo a chemical change that turns it red. And when you do this gradually while spinning it in a kiln, you get a gentle gradient. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It is stunning. And it is gorgeous. It is stunting pretty. Also, while reading about how they made it, I found out that the hole where you reheat and reshape glass is called the furnace glory hole. So... (laughs) Did they do that on purpose? I think glory hole probably meant like a variety of things before it meant, you know, the bad stuff. Well, that's a little judgy. Well, uh, I guess the crass stuff. How's that? There we go. The rude, lewd, and totally crude stuff. (laughs) Yeah. This is traditionally starting with a yellow amber at the bottom to a deep red at the top. But if the effect is reversed and the bottom part is reheated, the result is called reverse amberina. Red at the bottom, amber to the top. I've never met anyone who would argue that this doesn't belong in the amberina glass category. And the red can range from anywhere from a pink to a deep ruby cast. Although there are very rare pieces which are basically if you left it to cook too long, the red would turn purple. Oh, Oh, that's intriguing. Yeah, there are some pieces that are kind of oopsie pieces that are some of the rarest and most collectible kinds of Amberina glass that exists. And it's also a fun way to identify the age of a piece because after a while they stop using gold to make Amberina, so you can pretty reliably date it to the 19th century. There's also a type of cased glass, which is basically a glass that has a layer put over or under it to create a sort of two-toned effect. This one is called Plated Amberina, and it has a white milk glass interior to create a sort of semi-solid opalescent appearance. There's also a fucking weird variation called Blue Amberina, or Blurina, which is glass that is shaded from blue to amber, using more or less the same property, but with cobalt instead of gold. Oh. I don't like the look of it. Some people are absolutely crazy about it. I think it sounds dope. I mean, taste is an individual thing. Which is a fun way to say enjoy being wrong. It's not wrong. It's beautiful. It's very valuable. It's rare. It's just not my thing. I'd rather have regular. (laughs) So where did Amberina come from, I hear you ask? Jesus. He, (laughs) it was him. You're right. (laughs) It was the last gift he gave us before, you know, forgiving our sins. Except he didn't because we still have to go to fucking confession. (laughs) Martin Luther would like a word. What was the goddamn point if we're still... Never mind. Anyway. (laughs) Well, it is actually one of the rare glass art forms that you can track down to basically one guy. Steve? Steve Glass? Is it him? Mr. Glass. (laughs) Isn't Steve Glass from the Brady Bunch joke? Maybe. (laughs) 
Is that Steve? I'm pretty sure that was Stephen Glass. I don't know. I haven't watched enough Brady Bunch. It was the meme. The meme. The only part of the meme I remember is Sure Jan. Yeah, because it was, she was saying Sure Jan because Jan was insisting she had a boyfriend that went to another school. I'm not going to look it up because I think people listening will have a lot of fun screaming it at the radio. Do you know what the Sure Jan meme was about? Write in at Podcast at gmail.com. No, I know what it was. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So it was invented and actually patented by a guy named Joseph Locke in 1883, a glass worker at the New England Glass Company in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, hey! We know from there. That's almost us kind of a little bit. Cambridge would prefer not to acknowledge us, but technically we're neighbors. Cambridge could try to shake us off, but it will never succeed. You're, <laughs> you're next, Bristol. <laughs> The New England Glass Company, which would later be renamed, perhaps more famously, the Libby Glass Company after it moved to Toledo, Ohio, had two major stages where it produced Amberina glass. First, from the 1880s to the 1890s, and after the 1890s, or I believe specifically 1888, when they made the move to Toledo, Ohio, they revived Amberina glass a few short years later in 1917 to make everyone feel a little bit better about the stuff that had happened by giving them colored glass. Sure. Which isn't to say that they were the only company making Amberina. But the patent. Aha. They obtained a license to reproduce it. Ah. Uh... Except for one notable outlier. Oh? Well, we're actually going to be turning the lens really, really close to home for a second and talk about Mount Washington Glass Company of New Bedford, USA. Now, is this just because you will take literally any excuse to talk about the Mount Washington Glass Company from New Bedford, USA? No, I actually didn't know about this issue. <laughs> this was an exciting confluence. An exciting excuse to talk about the Mount Washington Glass Company out of New Bedford, Massachusetts, USA. One of the greatest glass companies ever existed? Yeah. Not sponsored. <laughs> Not sponsored. Sponsor me. <laughs> they are not a company anymore. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't sponsor us and look what happened to them. Yeah, consider that and consider sponsoring us. And thank you to <laughs> Cotton Cuts. Is that what they're called? <laughs> yes, thank you to Cotton Cuts and Sebastian Nothwell for sponsoring. Yeah, thank you to Cotton Cuts and Sebastian Nothwell, the two only businesses that will ever actually succeed because they've sponsored us. <laughs> If you want to get on that tip to success, just give us an email. Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. So Mount Washington Glass was really, really well known for one really major thing, and that was gradiented colorful glass. So when Amberina hit the Cena... <laughs> do you ever, you ever make a joke and you like you, you plan on making that joke, but then you just felt a wave of shame? Every goddamn day. Because uh, I have. They got an idea, and Mount Washington Glass started creating a variation on their peach blow glass. Now, peach blow is a kind of glass that is very, very soft pastel yellow to pink gradient. And they started making an amber to red glass called <laughs> Rose Amber. Mm. Now, make no mistakes, this was literally Amberina. It used the exact same process as creating Amberina, and the only difference was some of the glass finishing, because Mount Washington Glass was also very well known for their satin glass episode about that someday. Also, keep an eye out for our Mount Washington Glass episode, which will be roughly seven hours long. And our Fenton episode. Which will be roughly four minutes long. <laughs> the thing is, as we mentioned before, other companies creating Amberina Glass had obtained licenses for it. And Libby slash New England Glass was not in the habit of letting things slide. So, in 1886, they actually filed a legal injunction against Mount Washington, telling them to fucking knock it off. <laughs> And surprisingly, it was granted and Mount Washington was strong-armed into never making Rose Amber again. 
And it didn't even matter that they were uh, <laughs> what I think you would perhaps incorrectly call legally distinct now by changing the name. Yeah. Yeah, that used to not fly if people looked and saw that you were doing the exact same thing and just calling it, you know, this is Martin Mouse, the uh, the hysterical cartoon mouse. <laughs> Now, after Amberina's early heyday through the 1900s, Amberina actually had a second renewal period from the 1950s to the 1960s. So if you want to take a wild guess how I feel about that iteration of Amberina. Fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> People just wanted to see Amberina again. There was a renewed interest in bright colors, colorful glass, and decorating with art glass. So glass companies reintroduced it to the market. However, doing it the original way, with blown glass or pressed glass, was not cheap or easy. So they cut corners by processing the amber glass to red by adding selenium and cadmium sulfides. Now, I don't remember much about cadmium, probably because of all the cadmium I've ingested. But it's not great for your body. Well, most of these pieces were not actually meant to be eaten out of. Right, but people had to make them. Oh yeah, I don't know. If, if you're a glassmaker and you understand better the risks of working with heavy metals and glass, I would love to hear more because I actually do not know a lot about whether or not it is dangerous. Is it dangerous heating up molten glass and adding toxic chemicals to it? Is it dangerous heating up cadmium and then blowing into it with your lungs? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know a lot about that. Uh, those aspects of the process, I'd be really curious to hear from someone who knows intimately. Or not intimately. Like, granted, you're wicked not supposed to inhale when you're blowing glass, but like, I'd assume some of it just like gets into the air, even when your mouth is not actively adhered to the glass pipe. Well, I know now they wear masks. Yay! But historically, I don't suspect that's been the case. No, I wouldn't think so. Right in at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> so the resulting color from selenium and cadmium sulfide was less of a beautiful natural sunset amber to red color and uh, much more of a screaming orange. <laughs> oh, I hate that. In addition, the toning down of the artistic process of creating the glass means that the gradient is actually not as a uh, <laughs> grade. <laughs> wow. Nothing? No? You're, you're not ashamed of that one? Fucking dying on a cross up here. That wasn't the one you were ashamed of? <laughs> no, I'm not ashamed of that one, actually. Reconsider. <laughs> I, I, I will not. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I was so proud of that joke. Oh, holy shit. Wow. I mean, it was such a good joke. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it was so good. I was just like, I had to take a minute to bask. <laughs> Essentially, what that results in is uh, more delineation between the color changing. In fact, in my humble opinion, the 1950s through 60s and unfortunately contemporary Ambrina glass, it kind of actually looks more like three colors than a two color fade. Like a, like a child's Easter egg dipping project. Huh. Like a child who's not good at doing that because I, I assumed someone out there was like, hey, my kid makes beautiful gradients. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a much more garish. Um, there's very few examples of blown glass from this period, of course. It's uh, almost all molded or pressed if they're feeling fancy. And we have another fighter entering the arena. Triple H. It's not Hunter Hearst Helmsley. He's coming in. He's doing his signature finishing move. Satin finish? The huge, happy homemaker. <laughs> the satin finish. <laughs> wow, that was a really good joke, Ken. I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and he broke all the Umbrina glass. I'm sorry, collecting it's over. Oh, God. <laughs> Why did we let Triple H into this antique store? Christ. You thought a bull in a china shop was bad. You haven't seen pro wrestler in the antiques mall. <laughs> he just picks up a platter. And just, it's broken in half. <laughs> 
I'm going to do that. Wait, all right. How successful do you think I would be if I did that on like a repaired piece that was split? That would be very funny for me personally. So I'm going to encourage it. <laughs> so I walk up to the cellar and it's got a repair, like an obvious repair down the middle. And I say, this is broken in half. <laughs> and then I buy it and I smash it with a metal chair. Uh, <laughs> hit us up at Brimfield next year for this live performance. No, the actual challenger is reproductions. Including one that I actually struggle to call a proper reproduction, but I don't know what to call it because it certainly isn't Amberina. And that would be the arch nemesis of flashing. Now, flashing glass is a process by which you apply and heat a thin layer of some kind of metal or chemical to the outer surface of glass. In this case, it would be gold. And heating it up quickly, creating a thin layer of color on the surface of the glass, usually clear glass. This is not Amberina glass, but I also think it's unfair to call it a reproduction. It sounds like it's just a completely different kind of glass. It's a completely different kind of glass whose entire identity is copying Amberina glass, which puts it in a very strange place for me. So it's a bad copy. In my opinion, I really do not like the appearance of flashed glass. It's damaged way too easily, and it tends to always have a really annoying, lustrous sheen to it, no matter how hard they try to not have it on there. Kind of like carnival glass? Kind of like, yeah, but much more subtle. It looks like someone dipped it in a puddle full of oil. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, secretly I've been giving you tips this whole time. That is how to spot it out in the wild. (laughs) The two things about Flash is that it tends to be damaged, first of all. So if mysteriously the color has flaked or scratched off, well, there you are. If it actually is somehow in pristine condition, it tends to be vaguely iridescent, and also the color is not rich. It's, uh, I would say, anemic. Sickly. It's also not pastel in a deliberate way. It's kind of just not the color they were clearly going for. Kind of washed out. Yeah. And of course, this isn't worth even a fraction of what most Amarina is worth, which already isn't a whole hell of a lot, most cases. Sounds like a good candidate for being broken in half. Broken in half. There's also a probably more close to an actual reproduction, which would be taking clear glass and painting the surface with copper oxide and yellow ochre and firing that on like a glaze. I mean, I guess you could, but I feel like there are better hobbies (laughs) to occupy your time. It was all about money. Amberina was hot, but it was not cost effective to make. Because of the gold? Yeah, mostly because of the gold and also just making a fine crafted piece of glass is time consuming. Glass making hard, actually. Glass making hard. Uh, Go find a glass maker and shake their hand, but not while they're doing it. That's dangerous. (laughs) Those are also easy to spot because they also have a vaguely iridescent finish. And there is, of course, contemporaries. Amberina is another one of those glasses where you actually don't get a ton of reproductions per se so much as you get specifically Fenton continuing to make it ad nauseum. God damn it, Fenton. Every day it's like this with you. (laughs) Every day with you, Fenton. Can't you just let anything be? Danny Fenton. (laughs) Get out of the ghost realm. Those are actually really hard to tell from vintage, like, 50s or 60s pieces because they're made the exact same way out of the exact same molds. Oops. So I, uh, good luck. Um... I'm guessing if you're a Fenton collector, you already have other tricks up your sleeve for figuring out Fenton. I gave up a long time ago. (laughs) Hold on tight for a Fenton episode. (laughs) It'll be real positive. (laughs) When you talk about other kinds of glass, Burmese glass produced Amberina of a fashion. And there's crackle glass that's done in Amberina. And there are definitely reproductions of that. And those are also going to be pretty difficult to spot. A lot of the crackle glass reproductions are actually hand-blown which is generally tends to be people's crutch for figuring out old glass. 
I guess they forget that there are glass blowers that are alive. I was gonna say, like, glass blowers still exist. Yeah. Can't keep a good glass blower down. So that would be very difficult, and I would just say to keep your wits about you and get very good at telling old glass from new glass. It's all about the wear on the bottom and the heft, I'm telling you. Weight and wear, the two W's. WWE stands for weight and wear everything. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's Ambrina Glass. It was the first thing I started collecting when I was really little, and uh, my dear friend Donald was the one who taught me to be able to spot the good old stuff. Shout out to Donald. Shout out to Donald. Sources for today include GlassEncyclopedia.com, Ambrina Glass, AdirondackGirlAtHeart.com, a cool collectible, <laughs> NineLivesAntiques.com, Ambrina Glass, WorthPoint.com, their dictionary entry on Ambrina Glass, and Collectix.com, Education Ambrina. And Wikipedia. Blessed Wikipedia. Hail Wikipedia. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, antiquesfreaksfriends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com, or message us on Instagram, instagram.com slash antiquesfreaks. Wow, that was really good. Are you practicing to be an auctioneer? If you would like to sponsor my auctioneer's license... If you'd like to do that, feel free to express it by scrolling on down to where you're listening to this fine podcast and leaving us a review. All kinds of reviews help to get our dulcet tones into a variety of waiting, hungry ears. We received a lovely review recently from Tusiek titled, They're Weird Like Me and I Love That. (laughs) Oh my god, they just like me for real. I look forward to weekly episodes. I can learn and laugh at the same time. Thanks for sharing your knowledge while not taking yourselves too seriously. I'm from a different, translate all caps, old generation, where lots of antiques people were stuffy and snobby. I'm thrilled to see people in your generation appreciating antiques. Thank you again. Aww. And thank you, Tusiek. Aww. For that very sweet review. I love when people who aren't our age enjoy the enjoy the podcast. I really do. <laughs> I feel so special. Like, I impressed them. Aww. Like... <laughs> And if you would like to pick up a variety of vintage goods and t-shirts and stickers for the podcast logo on them, you can check out our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks, where we have old books, old jewelry, old clowns, everything. I actually, I have a stuffed trio of what I've been calling the crawler triad. They're a triplet clowns that are posed as if they are constantly crawling at you. Delightful! (laughs) They're wonderful. And if you would like more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash antiquesfreaks, where every week or so we are streaming the video game Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy with our friend, author, and archaeologist, OFC Eri. Or you can hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we produce a bonus episode where we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful, Varney the Vampire, or the Feast of Blood. Dracula whomst? I don't know her. I don't know the bitch. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.